Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. Hi, this is Alex Stein, co-host of Mushing Radio on Dog Works Radio. We just completed our first storytelling season on the 1925 serum run. Almost 100 years later, the 1925 serum run is something that is still inspirational, amazing, and in many ways larger than life. We've gathered all of these episodes together on one page to make it easier for you to listen to them in order. Just go to dogworksradio.com slash serum run. That's S-E-R-U-M-R-U-N, no space, dogworksradio.com slash serum run. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe to Dogworks Radio at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you go to listen to podcasts. Start your day tomorrow with The Daily Dog with Michelle Forto, the morning podcast on Dogworks Radio. Apple podcast reviewer Patty Christensen calls it funny, smart, and filled with all the info I want to know about dogs. I love this show. Wake up with The Daily Dog, available on Dogworks Radio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert Forto and you're listening to our daily coverage of the 2018 Iditarod here on Mushing Radio. You can find us on social media at Dogworks Radio. You can also find us online using the same name, dogworksradio.com. And I am joined today by my co-host. He's calling in from Southern California. His name is Alex. Alex, how's it going? It's going great, Robert. It's, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago that we started the race, and now it's it's already over. All the teams are are in, um, and they are doing the finishers banquet even now as we speak. You know, I've been busily watching Facebook this afternoon in the middle of dog mushing and just about everything else, and I'm already noticing that people are flying their dogs home already which is great if they can catch those flights out i would imagine it's more of a logistical hurdle to get the dogs home because you have to have not only uh somebody to drop them off there in in Nome, but you also have to have somebody to be able to pick them up here in anchorage uh as i mentioned on yesterday's show we were at a race last night at the chugiak dog mushers association and one of my competitor competitor friends is the handler for Jim Lanier's team and we finished our race about 10 o'clock or so last night and he had to miss the awards ceremony for our race because he had to rush off to the airport to pick up Jim's dogs because they were already in in uh, in Anchorage and ready to go home yeah and you know it's 
it's funny to think of it because it it takes a dog team, you know, even a very fast dog team, it takes them eight or nine days to get from Anchorage to Nome. Uh, and yet you can load the dogs up all on crates and put them on a jet and they're in Anchorage in, I don't know, a couple of hours. You know, I can get to Nome faster from Anchorage than, I, than it takes me to drive there from home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know tonight we're talking about the award ceremony, and I'm really excited to hear all of the winners. But I have to point something out relatively quickly. I saw uh, today on Facebook, it was a post about your Olsom signing a picture uh, that had been signed by 19 of the last 20 champions. And the only one missing was Susan Butcher. But I wanted to point out that it's absolutely amazing since the start of Iditarod, there has only been 20 champions. What do you think about that? It, it's really kind of astonishing. And when you think about the fact that there have been uh, there have been there's been one one musher who won five times. Uh, and I think there's four mushers or possibly five mushers who've won four times. Um and then you've had a couple people who've won two or three times. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. It really does seem like there have been there definitely have been dynasties along the way. Right. And and that's what I was going to say. There's a lot of the same names in that uh, 40 plus years there starting way back. And I guess was the first one uh, recorded in 73 or 74. 73. 73. Yeah. So 45 years from today, I guess, was the uh, or, or roundabouts uh, towards the end of the first Iditarod, which is kind of amazing to me. Yeah, I think I think actually the first one, they were probably still on the trail because that's the one where it took. I, I don't know what the winner came in, but it was something like 17 or 20 days for the first Iditarod. Uh, a little history that I don't know is, has it always been started the first week in March, or was it started at a different day earlier in the in the uh, history? Uh, I believe it's always been the first Saturday in March. And is there any type of historical uh, significance to that date, do you know? Uh, I actually don't know that. I know that a few years ago, the first because the Iditarod starts the first Saturday in March, it was declared officially Susan Butcher Day ah. um, by uh, by Governor Palin. Um, and so that that was a very I thought that was a very great way to acknowledge and and commemorate Susan Butcher. Very cool. OK, so let's jump into the awards and the ceremony that's happening right now as we speak. It's about uh, seven o'clock Alaska time on the 18th of March. So the race has been. Uh, officially uh, going on since uh, two weeks from today. The official start was Sunday the 3rd, I, or 4th, I guess it was, here in Willow. So exactly two weeks, everybody's in. Uh, just about everybody that uh, that is in Nome is there. I, I'm sure even a couple of the scratch mushers uh, are, go to these types of things. I probably would if I had scratched at least on that side of the trail. Uh, what do you see in there? I know you were able to catch some of it on Iditarod.com or Iditarod Live or Insider or Insider or whatever. Yeah, it, it was very interesting. Uh, Didi came up and made a made a speech at the beginning, which was was very nice. Um, 
they presented all they represented all of the awards that were presented on the trail and we can go over a list of those uh, in a little bit as well um there was general thanks to the um race officials the mushers the dogs the volunteers the vets uh all of those sort of things it looked like everyone was milling around having a great time the food looked looked really good as it always does um the one thing that I did want to mention, which may not may not get a lot of attention, is uh, Paul Gebhardt, who is a a um, Iditarod veteran uh, who is not able to run the race this year because he is battling cancer. They had a um, by the side of the stage they have um, an Iditarod poster, and they're having all of the finishers sign this poster for Paul and put a little message for Paul as a, um, as you know, a, a, a keep going, get well, be back here soon sort of uh, gift for him, which I think is just a wonderful thing. Right. For sure. Uh, and you talked about, um, the, the, um, awards that are given during the race itself. I know we talked about most of those during our coverage this year, but can you start from, um, the first award there? What is that? The, um, the, uh, yeah. the one so at the McGrath? first one is the, uh, right. The one at McGrath, the Penn Air spirit of Alaska award, uh, which goes to the first musher to McGrath. And that this year was won by Mitch Seavey. And in the past, it has been a spirit mask um, and cash, and now it is a uh, a print by official Iditarod artist John Van Ziel, John Van Ziel, um, that he has agreed not to sell anywhere else. So the only way that you can get this print is by winning the uh, Spirit of Alaska Award. So that was the first one. Then there's the uh, GCI Dorothy Page Halfway Award for the first musher to reach the halfway checkpoint, which this year was Iditarod. And that went to your Olsum, uh, which is $3,000 in gold nuggets um, and a trophy made of Alaska birch and marble that features a photograph of the late Dorothy Page, who was one of the co-founders of the Iditarod. And then there was the first to the Yukon Award, which was won by Nick Pettick in Anvik, uh, and that's the lakefront seven-course meal and the so-called after-dinner mint of $3,501 bills. So that was represented to him. Uh, and then there's an award for the um, uh, the Bristol Bay Native Corporation first Fish First Award for the first team into Caltag. And that was won by Nick Pettit. Uh, and he gets... A certificate for 25 pounds of fresh caught Bristol Bay salmon in the summer, a check for $2,000, and a wood burned art piece by a Bristol Bay Native Corporation shareholder and artist Apeo Moore, which was which was a beautiful a beautiful piece. Um, this year, this is a new award. Uh, the first to White Mountain Award by the Northern Bank, which is called the Northern Bank Achieve More Award. And that is $2,500 and a print by Anchorage artist Marion Wheeland. And Jed Ballard, who's the C- CFO of Northern Bank, said, the Iditarod itself inspires fans to achieve more. And as an Alaskan-grown bank, we at Northrum applaud that pioneering spirit. So it's a it's a great new award. 
there used to be an award, the First to the Coast Award, that was sponsored by Wells Fargo. Uh, Wells Fargo is no longer a sponsor, so that award uh, went away. Um, and then uh, there's a couple more awards that are sort of what they refer to as the mathematical awards, uh, which are awards that weren't presented in the field, but you could figure out who won them just by looking at the standings. So Jesse Holmes won Rookie of the Year, uh, finishing in seventh place. The Nome Kennel Club's Fastest Time to Safety Award, from Safety to Nome Award, went to Nick Pettit, who had the, they said he had the fourth fastest safety to Nome time ever in the history of the race. Uh, and then the, Matson Most Improved Musher Award, which is $2,000 in a trophy, went to Matthew Failer, who went from 59th place to 13th, which is a pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing improvement from one one I did around to the next. Wow. Uh, and then the um, the awards that were voted on at the end of the race were presented and the Donlin Gold Sportsmanship Award, which was voted by the Mushers, uh, went to Scott Jansen, who, as you might expect, got a standing ovation and told the story about how he had how he had found Jim Lanier and what he had done in order to uh, in order to help save Jim. Uh, he said that he he made a very stupid mistake, which is that. When he got to White Mountain, he sent his super warm gloves home because he figured that he was just going to be racing to try to finish in 43rd place so he wouldn't need them. Uh, and that got him in a little bit of trouble. Then the um, most inspirational musher award, which is voted by the, the mushers, and the prize for that is free entry into the 2019 Iditarod, was uh, awarded to Jesse Royer uh, for being in safety with a snow machine at the exact time when they needed someone in safety with a snow machine to go out and help uh, Scott Jansen and Jim Lanier. When she got up and was talking, she said that she didn't really feel very inspirational, that she just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, and she said, as as Scott said also when he was describing what, what he had done, that she didn't feel like she had done anything that any of them wouldn't have done. Uh, and while I agree that most likely any of them would have done that, I don't think that takes away from how heroic uh, this was. Um, and then the Northern Air Cargo Herbie Nyakpak Award, uh, which is voted by checkers um, on the checkpoints along the Bering Coast for the musher who best exemplifies the spirit of Herbie Nyakpak. Uh, was won by Richie Deal, and that is a plaque. And he also got a nice Northern Air cargo jacket that had $1,049 $1 bills tucked into the pocket. Uh, the Golden Clipboard Award, which is given to a checkpoint voted on by the mushers, went to Shaq Tulik. Uh, apparently, they have done a tremendous amount to improve the checkpoint between last year and this year at Shaq Tulik. And then the uh, Leonard Seppala Humanitarian Award, which is voted on by the vets for uh, the musher with the most extraordinary, exceptional dog care, went to Ali Zirkel. And finally, the city of Nome, 
sponsors the Lolly Medley Golden Harness Award that goes to the most talented four-legged athlete, which typically is the lead dog of the winner. And that went to Rusarin, who is your Olsum's lead dog. Awesome stuff for sure. I know they also give out a bunch of awards uh, that they do with raffles. I know they give away uh, ATVs and, of course, the truck that goes to the winner uh, along with with a check. And they also give away a couple of other trucks, if I don't if I don't recall, um, for people that sign up for the raffle. I, I think it's a hundred dollar raffle and they give away four or five right. of these a year. Uh, what a way to get a truck. You, you drop a hundred bucks down and you have a, you know, four or five chance of winning that if, if you're a supporter of Iditarod. Yeah. And you know, they, they are, when I was in Nome at the end of Iditarod, they were very actively still selling raffle tickets when, when tourists were coming in. And, and, uh, so that's a, a good way to support the Iditarod. Um, I think they said that there's a, I forget exactly what it is, but the odds seemed like they were pretty good to win something, even if it's not a truck. Uh, and of course the proceeds go to Iditarod, which especially this year, Iditarod has, has been having a bit of a cash flow problem. So they need everything they can get. Do you happen to know any of the um, the prizes for the mushers? You know, first place gets X dollars, second place, et cetera. I know they're paying down to 20th. I'm trying to look it up while you were talking, and I, I don't see, you know, sort of that breakdown sheet that they normally provide. Do you have anything handy? Yeah, I do. So the first, the first place gets $50,612. Second is $42,462. And then it gradually goes down and down by like three or four thousand dollars per place until twentieth place is just under ten thousand dollars. And it used to be uh, from 1973 to 1999, they paid out only with the the f- top 20 places. And then from 2000 to 2016, they expanded it so that the top 30 were still considered in the money. And then anyone under that gets $1,049 just for just for finishing. But last year, they voted to go back to only paying out, uh, only having the top 20 be in the money, so to speak. So for last year and this year, anything under 21st place, you just for finishing, you got $1,049. And that was it. So one of the most coveted prizes that people get uh, for running Iditarod is that uh, notorious belt buckle. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the the finisher's belt buckle is something you get the first time that you finish Iditarod. So uh, you can you can finish Iditarod twenty times, and you get one belt buckle. So it is it is sometimes referred to as the most expensive belt buckle in the world. Because sometimes people will spend, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars before they are able to finish the Iditarod. So uh, it's it's a it's a large belt buckle that I think has I think it says Iditarod on it and and it uh, and it has a stylized I think it has a stylized thing of a, a dog team. Right. Um, I've never actually seen anybody wearing them, but people are very 
very protective of their belt buckles. You know, I've seen here in Alaska, I've seen a lot of Iditarod finishers still wear those belt buckles. I know Lance Mackey often wears his around. Uh, if, if you look real close in pictures, especially at the Iditarod picnic in the summer, uh, you will see a little bit of a bling on the waist of a lot of those mushers that have finished once or twice. Uh, you'll see those belt buckles pretty flashy around there. Yeah, and it it used to be, and, and I think perhaps it is again that Iditarod finishers were also, if they were Alaskan residents, were also eligible to get a special Iditarod finisher license plate. Yes, yes, that is another one of those coveted only an Iditarod type uh, uh, prizes or awards. You see a lot of those coming around, uh, uh, especially here in the Anchorage and, uh, Matsu Valley area folks that, that have those. And those license plates says I did a rod finisher. And then it has a picture of a sled dog on the side. And a lot of folks, um, uh, painstakingly figure out some type of personalized license plate to go on there. Did you know, Alex, that not only, uh, do we have relatively cheap personal license plates? I think they're only $30 or something like that. But for my understanding, we have the most personalized license plates in anywhere in the in the country. Hmm. No, I didn't know that. That's that's very interesting. A little a little trivia there. I saw that, uh, you know, one of those. Uh, uh, did you know type articles on, on the newspaper once. So anything else happening in terms of uh, the finishers banquet uh, on the section Did you that you watched? Did you find any, uh, of course, any story is going to be moving, but did any of them really stand out to you? Uh, no, you know, they were, they were just at the, before we went on the air, they were just going through the, um, the awards and mostly people, you know, Scott Jansen told, a very long version of the story of how he found and, and helped rescue Jim Lanier, uh, which had, which had even more details that I didn't know that were, that were interesting and scary, uh, including that he, he himself had gone off the trail and then his, uh, headlamp went out and he was able to change his headlamp because he saw in the distance uh, Monica Zappa and I forget who it was, but the the musher that she was traveling with uh, sort of off in the distance. And he was able to use the lights from their headlamps as they were disappearing to orient himself as he changed his headlamp in the dark. Wow. Perseverance and tenacity for sure. And we have to applaud uh, Scott for, for that award. I think that's probably the most special award, uh, at least this year. Of course, that... Um, that uh, that vet award that is is very coveted. You know, if you're taking good care of your dog team, that is the award you want for sure. And did you say that was Allie Zirkel this year? Yeah, Allie won this year. I believe she's won several times before as well for that award. Right. Anything else in regards to the finishers banquet before we move into our musher profile? No. Let's let's roll into our musher profile then. Okay. Uh, so our musher profile this. Uh, this tonight is Matt Hall. Matt is technically a rookie, or he was a rookie. Uh, he's now an Iditarod veteran. He grew up in Eagle, uh, was described himself as being raised on a trap line. His, uh, his parents had sort of a semi-subsistence um, lifestyle when, when he was a little kid. He first got behind a dog team when he was age two, 
and says that he was seriously mushing by age five. His parents, um, for part of the time when he was growing up, ran a mushing expedition company. And he started his own little trap line that he tended to by himself when he was only 10 years old. Um, and he learned quickly how to adapt to changing and potentially deadly weather and talks on his website about being out on a, um, a mushing expedition with his father when he was 12 years old and that a storm blew in and they had to, on the trail, uh, uh, chop down trees and make a makeshift shelter um, on the run when a storm suddenly blew in. He started racing when he was 16 with his own dogs. Uh, his first, his first leader from his first from his first litter was a dog named Keeper. Uh, he moved in 2012 to Two Rivers. Has run five Yukon Quests. He is the first uh, Yukon Quest musher who is of the second generation. His dad, Wayne Hall, com competed several times in the Yukon Quest and was the first musher to finish a quest with all 14 of his dogs still in harness. Matt runs Smoke and Ace Kennels with his wife, Amanda. Uh, apparently that's a poker term. Uh, he said that he loves playing poker. Um, they live off the grid in Two River. In the off-season, he works for Alaska Icefield Expeditions um, down on the glacier, and they are starting their own touring company called Last Frontier Mushing. He said that he he scratched out of the Yukon Quest this year, but he won the quest in 2017, and he said that he wants to run the quest and Iditarod every year. He described himself as someone who's very, very competitive, says he feels most at home when he's out on the trail, um, his two most reliable dogs who are his main leaders are Anchor and Hamlet. And he told the insider about halfway through the race that Anchor is always goofy. And whenever they stop, he immediately turns over on his back and demands belly rubs. Uh, Anchor got dropped relatively early in the race, but Matt said that all of his two-year-olds were having a great time and it was fantastic to be out with them on a trip trail that none of them had ever uh, been down before. He said his first run into Roan was extremely technical and the most fun that he's had on a sled for years with lots and lots of turns and really got him engaged and, and excited and stoked about running Iditarod. Although he did say that given that many turns, he was glad to be relatively close to the front and wouldn't want to take that section of trail as the 60th team to come down. He finished, it, it, was, it was pretty much always going to be uh, a competition between him and Jesse Helms, Jesse Holmes, sorry, uh, for Rookie of the Year um, because of his extensive experience with running the quest. Um, I thought that Matt might have a leg up in that, but he finished in 11th place, four hours behind Jesse. And he said that when he got to Nome, he had spent his, the last part of his race planning his future strategy for Iditarod. And he said he's not quite ready to say that he's going to commit to coming back in 2019, but he's definitely coming back and he's already starting to plan how he's going to improve his race and do even better. So 
you know, Matt Hall is one of these guys. He has a lot of mushing experience, including a bunch of thousand mile races. We know that doing well in the Yukon Quest doesn't always translate into doing well in Iditarod, but this was a very, very good rookie run. And I think this is a guy that we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot from in Iditarod over the next 10 years. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you made a good point there just a second ago about planning for next year's race while they're out on the trail. I read an article, I believe it was by Jake Berkowitz earlier in the race, and he talked about how a lot of mushers are already planning on it, whether uh, their um, their kennel is, is running puppy teams or bee teams or or yearling teams or whatever in the race behind, you know, the main team. I know that uh, Alan Moore and Ali Zirkel do that a lot. Uh, others are, you know, uh, plotting out strategies or race uh, schedules and that sort of thing. It's just interesting that you would hear that um, from a guy like Matt Hall, who it's his rookie year, but even though he's ran the quest many, many times, he's already thinking out strategy for Iditarod. I guess that just comes from those years and years of experience out there on that quest trail. And of course, all of those years, you, you had mentioned he started mushing when he was very young, all of those years out there on the trap line. Now, I know that trap line mushing is a heck of a lot different than competitive or racing mushing, but uh, you can build up quite a quite of a base of experience just by going from trap to trap and collecting whatever you are hunting or trapping, whether it be mink or, or, you know, whatever it is, bobcats or whatever, uh, you can have a lot of experience under your belt that way. Yeah. And that's kind of an old school style of mushing that a lot of people don't, you know, it used to be, it seems that a lot of people, especially a lot of the natives who would run Iditarod had, had a lot of experience on the trap lines. Um, it's not something you hear about very often these days. People tend to, you know, come up through, uh, through working as handlers for established kennels, uh, rather than working on trap lines. So it's, it's an interesting throwback. Uh, even though he's a relatively young guy, I believe he's 26. It's an interesting throwback to, uh, kind of an earlier time in mushing. Right. You know, uh, one other question I have for you, Alex, before we close tonight, since this is truly the, the last um, day for Iditarod, you know, often during uh, the race, you will hear a lot about leased teams or sort of rented teams. I did not hear anything in particular about um, any of those guys this year. I know Vern Halter, um, who is uh, – a musher that, that does that quite often. I know that Mitch Seavey and Dallas Seavey do that as well. Do you know anything about sort of those predominant or, or prominent, excuse me, uh, lease teams out there this year? I know there were a couple of them. They they didn't seem to really make the news in the way that they sometimes do. Right. You know, a lot of times they struggle, and we've talked a lot about that uh, when they're when they're up here just for you know a season to qualify. Then typically they go home back to to their jobs or their families or whatever. Then come up the following winter and then do a couple of a uh, sort of warm up races and then and then attempt to do Iditarod. A lot of times those guys just don't do as well as um, you know the the people that do it day in and day out. It's just interesting that I didn't hear a lot of stories about them this year and maybe that's one of those things that's um uh becoming less and less more prominent i don't know 
Well, it also could be that there weren't as many teams who seemed to be getting in a lot of trouble yeah, this true. year, at least early in the race. That's true. Because we, we would hear early in the race in the past couple of years about teams that just got got beaten up and people would you know, have all kinds of injuries in the first third of the race. We we didn't have very much of that this year. Right. And and like you said, it was it was kind of a slow um story year for Iditarod. Of course we had the, the really big stories with, with um with Scott and that. But you know, with that that's a little bit of a teaser for our next episode, which we're gonna air on our normal show day and time, which is at uh seven o'clock. Is it seven or five? Five o'clock, excuse me. Five o'clock Alaska time on Wednesday. Uh, we are going to air a a wrap-up show, and we're going to talk about some stories that we found really interesting, uh, some of the stats and and things that we found in our coverage this year that that will sort of wrap everything up together and, uh, as they say, put a nice little bow on it. So we're going to air that on Wednesday evening, and that's our typical airtime. And then after that, we'll jump right back into our uh, sort of off-season coverage, and we'll do that um, throughout the year. And I know Alex and I have got to start thinking about season two of uh, Mushing Radio. I don't know exactly when or what we're going to talk about, but in the coming uh, weeks or months, we will have an update on what we're going to do for season two. Anything else you want to mention tonight uh, before we close, Alex? Uh, you know, just want to once again thank everyone who follows us on social media, everyone who, you know, tweets at us, messages us on Facebook, suggests stories to us. We very much appreciate all of, all of you guys who are, who are just very, very active mushing radio fans. And for people who are relatively new, uh, feel free to contact us. We are generally very approachable. We tend to reply very quickly to our fans who contact us and we always love hearing from you guys because it's uh honestly there's a lot of other places that you can go to get your your mushing news and your information about uh the Iditarod so we really appreciate everyone who comes back and listens to this show uh when we're on during Iditarod and during the off season as well couldn't have said it better myself for sure. All right, guys, that is uh, our daily coverage of the 2018 Iditarod. I hope you enjoyed it, and we will be back on Wednesday evening at our normal date and time, as they say. Alex, have a good evening. We'll talk again soon, okay? Okay, thanks, Robert. Thank you. On behalf of my co-host, Alex Stein, this is Robert Forto for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. Did you know that Alaska Dog Works trains service dogs for those in need throughout North America? Each and every service dog that is trained through the Lead Dog Service Dog Program and Michelle Fordow and her team has an individual training plan. We train for autistic, mobility, psychiatric, and PTSD for our soldiers for service work. If you know of someone that may need a service dog, please take a moment and check out Alaska Dog Works on social media and at alaskadogworks.com. If you like our podcast, there are a few things you can do. You can take a couple of minutes and go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You can also check out all of our DogWorks Radio sponsors and promotions in our show notes. Another thing you can do is go over to Facebook, like our Facebook page, 
And one last thing, please tell all of your friends by spreading the word about DogWorks Radio. Thank you so much for listening to us. We really appreciate you. DogWorks Radio is produced by Robert Forto. Logo art by Angry Squirrel Studios. DogWorks Radio is produced in conjunction with KVRF 89.7 in Palmer, Alaska. For dog training advice, you can contact Alaska DogWorks at 907-841-1686 or visit their website at alaskadogworks.com. If you have a show idea or would like to be a guest, please contact us by sending an email to live at dogworksradio.com. You only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.